Welcome back to our podcast, Humanise. I'm here with Chris and Sarah, and today we're going to talk about when is the right time to hire a permanent HR or talent person into your business. So with a lot of our clients, and and I guess at some point we'll come to this point as well, um, I think some of the kind of more technical hires when you're starting to scale up are a bit more of a straightforward decision in terms of needs and, and growth and investment. But I think it gets a little bit tricky when you get to the support functions. I'm going to categorise uh, talent management and HR within that. Um, where, what are the triggers do you feel for somebody starting to think about bringing resource for both of those functions in on a, on a permanent basis for the clients that you've worked with? I suppose it's, for us, it's um, a transitional point. So we obviously offer support from a HR perspective for clients on a interim basis and on a consultancy basis. So we work with clients that are really small, so they might have four people, mm. but we'll help to set up the function and just set up the um, ability for them to grow with confidence in terms of their compliance. Mm-hmm. And then we often step out from those businesses. But then we stay with businesses and they might grow from four and the next year it might be 20 and they can grow and expand really quickly. Mm. And I think there comes a point whereby having um, an interim support works really really well for a period of time Mm. but perhaps there's a size I mean I think there's lots of different reasons why but I think one of them is size yeah so they become perhaps too big to rely on just two or three days support from one of our team Mm -hmm. in a in a very sort of generalist HR role and actually they need somebody there on a on a full-time basis Um, And I think if we reflect this back onto our business, that's not something that we would offer. We wouldn't have somebody in a business full time Mm. because we have uh, different clients. And actually part of the reason why our team work with us is because they like to have different clients and they like to have that variety and an opportunity to work with different clients. So I think when you get to around, I mean, you call it the magic number, Mm. probably around 50, depending on complexity of business. I think you know some might be a bit smaller, and if they're super complex and they're expanded into other countries, then it might be yeah, yeah, important yeah. for them to come to come in at an earlier stage. But I think from a numbers perspective, um, probably around fifty, and and I think we start to feel a change in the pull and the needs and the demands of that client, and I think it ends up being quite a natural conversation for us. And part of our model was always to support a business over a period of growth and to grow with them as much as we could. Mm. But actually, it was also to help them to then bring in their permanent team and transition our offering into a permanent function that comes in, help them to set that up, and then actually to continue to mentor and coach that permanent team if required Mm. and still have some contact with that business as we kind of step away. And I guess we could talk about recruitment in a minute, but at what level would you say your first HR hire or typically amongst your clients do you see? Is it an HR director? Is it an HR no. business partner? Like, what sort of level do you hire? It tends, it, again, it depends, <coughs> depends on the on client. Business. So for, for some of our clients, uh, they hire in at a kind of head of people yeah. level. So it's not quite HR director and it's more senior than an HR manager. So yep. it's that kind of sweet spot in the middle that have ambition and will continue to scale and grow with the business. Or it's the next level down, which is that kind of HR business partner HR manager level so I mean I think the important thing especially with startups is is that you can stretch down and up yeah and that's why our model works so well is that we can absolutely get down and make sure that contracts are going out and admins being done as well as sit you know at an executive team or on a on a board where we need to to represent the more Mm. strategic side of HR and of the business um so that tends to be where we see them Mm. going in although with with a lot of our clients we've been with them 
right for, well for over five years oh, now five i mean years, a couple yeah. of my clients i've been working with for five years and they've scaled to a size but they won't get any bigger so actually yeah there is no requirement for a permanent headcount in those orgs a because obviously i am fabulous and they never want me to leave um but the other one is that that need just doesn't exist yeah because they're not going to get much bigger than they do their needs are being served by me or the team whoever happens to be in it so we've got a real mix but Mm. uh, you know just echoing what lisa said really that 50 seems to be the magic number Mm. however with some of our clients uh, they're at you know employee five or six and they've decided to bring in a head of HR or, or a you know a, an HR director at that point but those clients tend to be quite values and culture driven so yeah. right from the very beginning people is the focus yeah. values and culture is the focus um, and that's we've, we've seen that a few times as well mm-hmm. so they really do invest quite early in terms of that HR and that that people piece mm. um, yeah we also see and this never frankly works um, some of our clients want to hire uh, an HR person that can also do recruitment or talent management um, is a big ask, given most of our companies are scaling at speed. Um, and I think my personal view is, and I think Lisa feels the same, is those two skill sets are quite different. Mm. Yeah. It's very difficult to do both roles. Well. Yeah, well. But it, it's it's something that we see quite a lot of, and it's yeah. conversations that we have with quite a lot of our clients around, okay, I'm going to hire somebody permanently. I'm going to move both of those roles yeah. into one and have one person that's going to be able to do both. Yeah. Um, and unless you have a recruitment background, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to do both well, given how busy some of those roles are as, as people are stepping into permanent roles with um, a lot of our clients. Yeah, okay, makes sense. And I guess from from my point of view in terms of like same question at what point i think we see a variety of things happen i would say the most common trigger isn't around a number of people in terms of headcount it will be have they just raised a significant amount of money and they know they're going to look to double in size and therefore they think that having someone internal or a team of people internally sort of solves all of those problems Mm. um we've also worked with smaller businesses that have hired someone quite early stage maybe not five or six but they don't they see you know, using a recruitment agency as an expensive tool, they think that if they hire someone directly, they can kind of solve all the problems for them. And I think some cases that that works, and some cases it doesn't. Mm. Speaking from personal experience, my my time as an internal TA person in biotech, sometimes I felt like a glorified administrator because we were so busy with volume of roles. To your point about your client scaling, I didn't really have time to go out and fill loads of the jobs myself. Mm. Uh, mm. I was still managing agencies, arranging interviews, and, and actually, at the times I said to my boss, I was like, "I feel like you're you're paying me okay money to just be an admin person." Mm. So I don't think those. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's a sweet spot when it comes to recruitment in the same way. I think they. I think from my perspective, when I look at the, the sort of like the client base that we work with, a lot of them opt for talent before HR. Yes, they do. So a lot yeah, of them absolutely. hire a recruiter in mm. before they hire in an HR person, and I still haven't. I guess it's because they're growing and they need to hire mm. investment, like you say, mm. uh, and and so that's really pro- a priority. And I guess sometimes they might think, well, the culture's all right. Everyone yeah. seems to be doing yeah. their job. We've got a contract. It goes HR. out. So yeah. we don't need HR. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a bit of a false economy. 
um, mm. because I think if you only start to think about having HR in when you have cultural issues or you mm. have employment issues, you've probably left it a little bit too late. It's reactive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because then it's reactive and then the HR person comes in and they deal with quite a lot of firefighting and reactive. And to change a culture that's been established over a period of time and even just a year or maybe 18 months, that's a tough, a tough thing to do. It's mm. really hard to unpick a culture. But it's interesting and I understand that it's very often driven by the priority and the priority for them is we need to hire great people. Yeah, yeah. So let's control that. Yeah. Our people seem to be okay. We've got no issues. So we can wait a bit on that one. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think I'd agree. Just thinking about the mm. conversations that we have with um, a lot of our clients, which is the need is the recruitment piece. Yeah. It's always the recruitment piece. And, you know, it's a conversation they have with us because they want us to pick up the recruitment piece. And it's, you know, it's not our skill set outside of setting a framework and, you know, doing the administration, kind of to your point earlier. Um, so it's it's always the priority. Um, do, do clients come to you looking for, um, I know that you offer lots of different models, um, but if a client comes to you and says, we're looking to hire somebody in, mm-hmm. is it a conversation you have frequently or is um, it, have they already made their mind People up? have asked advice, yeah, like a company recently in London where we were talking about do we work on an embedded basis where yeah. like they don't have a permanent employee but they have like a full-time resource yeah do they do that for this round of hiring because there's only like 20 to 30 jobs so that's more of like a i guess you can turn it on and off yeah whereas if you're going to hire someone on a permanent basis like mm. you know that's someone's job someone's career someone has a mortgage to pay etc yeah you go and hire someone permanently and there's a 20 role project mm. what do they do once that's done you could argue there's always going to be attrition, maybe one role per month, but I don't think that justifies yeah, a permanent a full-time person. Unless, of course, you utilise that full-time person to get involved. If you don't have an HR person full-time, yeah, yeah. that person can get involved and pick up some of those pieces. Again, one of your employees, Jess and I, like when we mm. worked together, yeah. we pretty much redid the whole employee experience um, interview mm. processing together. Because you had somebody permanently yeah. and then you joined the team on that. Yeah, so I think it's it's a conversation, and that's where people, I guess, see us as a value add. Like, you get an honest opinion. Like, it might not always benefit us commercially, yes. but I'll give them my opinion of what's right for their business. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think kind of the environment's changed where people want to buy in expertise rather than permanent people that they can pull on? And I think mm. sometimes recruitment, HR maybe even marketing, marketing. Yeah. are areas where people don't necessarily want an internal person, a permanent person, mm. because if they buy expertise from a consultancy so like you or like us they actually buy so much more than one person because the whole value of that business is then available to them Mm -hmm. through the person that they work with their account manager or the hr person that's representing them but they can go back into the 11 people that we've got and go has anybody done this because i've not done it before i don't know how to do it Mm. and there's always going to be somebody so i wonder now whether companies have seen the value that they get by buying expertise rather than hiring it's been a big thing i would i would say it's definitely a thing and also in like the world that we live in um if i use say like engineering for example there's lots of Mm. like engineering consultancies And smaller businesses, rather than hiring a full-time permanent engineer, they're going outsource that yeah. to, to a consultancy, which costs more money. But again, it's more of an on-off, like a turn-on, turn-off solution. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. deviating slightly, but no, no, I know what you mean. I mean, cost is a consideration as well. Let's oh, be honest. Which is what? Where does the priority sit? Yeah. Um, you know, where you have clients that are developing products, as an example, there's definitely a technical need for specific roles to make sure that that product is, you know, going to be completed, is going to be manufactured, and is going to go to market. Um, and that's a necessary cost. Mm. So I think some of those support 
function roles yeah. um, whilst absolutely understood to be added value at some point is an additional cost to a business that they may not make that decision on or move it down yeah. the row for another three, six, nine months um, and then picking out some of that temporary support or interim support um, as and when they need it, which is yeah. which is quite a lot of what we do. We have a relationship with the client throughout, but actually touch points, especially the pay-as-you-go offer yeah. that, that we offer is they are crunch points that they absolutely need support on, but then things carry on. Yeah. And then there'll be another crunch point. And if those, yeah, if those crunch points get closer and closer, then there clearly is a, a, need, a need and a requirement that's been identified, yeah. at which point it's a slightly different conversation with the client around... Is it a permanent hire? Is it they need a bit more time from us? Is you know what does that look and feel like? Is it not what we? Is it compensation and benefits? Actually, is it recruitment or is it you know it can be a number of different things at mm-hmm. at that point? And it's mm-hmm. just a kind of upfront conversation with the client based on our experience. It might not be us. Yeah, I right? guess that's the beauty of of working on a consultancy basis, isn't it? It's not mm. like because I guess if you hire one full time resource, again, there's only so much work that that person can yeah. do. If it's an HR director, if it's a recruitment person, whereas on a consultancy basis, am I right in saying like if you were consulting for us, yeah, if I needed more from you, I could just pay you for more time, yeah. or get some additional resource from someone yeah. else in the business, right? Yeah, it's more flexible, I think. For yeah, that. definitely. <clears throat> and I think you get, you know, I mean. Some of my clients pay for my time because of my experience, right? But they couldn't afford that on a permanent no. basis. So we also work with our clients sometimes, you, a bit like you do. You know, you've got an HR person that's there internally, but they just need somebody with more experience or mm-hmm. more specialist experience to kind of come in and out of the business. They get more for their money, effectively. Yeah. You know, you're paying part-time or an, an amount of money for an HR director that you realistically couldn't afford on a permanent basis, but it benefits your business a huge amount. So I think it's just a smarter way sometimes of using their money until there comes a point at which it's, yeah, that this is definitely a full-time or a part-time or a permanent role. Um, and you've got somebody that's working with the business on a closer basis. Mm. And you mentioned 50 as a number earlier, like in the, ex- well, not an exact rule, but like no. in your experiences, what is it about like being a company of that size that kind of triggers that potential full-time hire? It's normally third stage of growth, not not linked to series A or B, but it, it tends to be kind of the, mm. the step change. So I think, you know, 10 is a step change, yeah. 25 is a step change, and then 50 is a step change. And I think when you get to that 50, because let's remember that a lot of COOs or uh, chief commercial officers or CEOs or founders are, are doing the HR mm-hmm. up yeah. to that point. Yeah. Or yeah. alternatively, you've got an office manager yeah. that has an interest in people mm-hmm. and quite fancies trying it. We've had um, management accountants running the <laughs> HR function. You know, you you use up to that point, you're kind of using what you've got in the business to kind of almost have a side hustle. So this is your job, but also can you just run HR, please? I mean, Typical startup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the amount of founders who were just like, oh, my God, I've got it to this point, but I can't, I need to focus on the stuff that they do best, right? Mm. Um, so we do that, that kind of 50 is linked to that third stage of growth, really, which yeah. is things are now starting to really stretch at the edges. I, we don't have this expertise internally. We've kind of got there through osmosis or just from Googling <laughs> or having a chat with a mate who is a mate whose girlfriend works in HR. Um, but actually, I don't I don't have time to do this and I don't want to break it. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. often really growth driven. So yep. whilst 50 is that number, sometimes it can be 30 yeah. if, you, if you're 
you know, you're scaling quite quickly. And complexity. Yeah, and, and complexity. You said side hustle. Mm. You know, sometimes HR's a side hustle. It should never be a side hustle. Mm. Like, should it? No. Like, that's, that's not a good decision <laughs> because the most valuable thing that any business will have is their people. Yeah. Yeah. And to think that you can have your office manager who may very well be very good at it if they, you know, they're passionate about it, mm. but to put your trust in somebody that hasn't got experience in that area, I'm not so sure that's the best decision you could be making. Mm. Um, and if, if, you know, you want to, grow people within your business then yes certainly bring somebody along that journey but allow them to have access to somebody who's really really experienced mm -hmm. so that they can learn and benefit from that experience but uh, yeah I feel quite strongly as an HR professional that it should never be a side hustle it should actually be a priority role for a business that's growing mm. Mm. and do you have a view on like I say these days, but you see HR. <laughs> so old, Chris. <laughs> but you see, the, like HR split into different like functions or maybe like, verticals, for if you want, within companies, HR. I think you do not for not for small, smaller ones. companies, and that's like a very sort of business partner kind of model where you have reward can be a vertical, you could have employee relations would be a vertical, Design. you'll have benefits as being a vertical and then you'd have your business partners sitting and they do the commercial relationship with the business. Yeah. So that is, and that's, it's quite an American kind of way of um, structuring a business and big businesses do that. And it can work really, really well. I think we probably epitomise that business partner um, side of it which, which is about relationship building yeah. quite commercial um, but for a small business you wouldn't you, you need somebody that does a bit of everything so a yeah. generalist you hear people term HR generalist yeah. which means they probably do have a bit of an expertise in a particular area mm. but they haven't decided to, 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 to go into that and specialise yeah. so they'll have a little bit of experience over everything and they can do a, a good job across the broader range of HR challenges mm. and that Evolve what would you describe describe as like your if I was coming to you saying I need some HR help that's mm. obviously super broad right what would you describe as like your bread and butter like what's your day-to-day -day work that it is genuinely different for every client yeah. okay. so we are all generalists but we all have a specialism in something um, which is brilliant because the amount of queries that we get through you know if Lisa can't answer it then I can and, and vice versa but it goes across the, the entire team, team. But it on genuinely it ranges, you know, it can go if I think about a, a day this week with a client, it, it ranged from organizational design mm -hmm. for the next three years, all the way through to um some smaller consultation meetings and then in the middle um we were discussing compensation reviews for next year in an engagement survey. So it genuinely I mean that's that's the beauty of a generalist role, right? And that's the beauty of our services to a client yep. they can ask you a question about the benefit benefits or, or they can have a you know more detailed conversation with you about work permits and how do we get you know a candidate from the us to the uk mm -hmm. that's that's what we offer but in hr there's there's never a typical day right that's why we're in it that's why we love it people <laughs> every <laughs> day yeah and people are not you know i was i compare hr and finance as being so very different you can put a number in a box and it stays in a box try and put a person in a box it's never going to happen mm -hmm. and the way that you treat one person today works and you think oh that's a good approach and then you th and you get a similar issue and you think i've done this before i'm going to try that and it just completely backfires on you so if you're always on your toes 
and always having to think kind of quite differently. But I would imagine that that's no different to working in talent acquisition, surely. Yeah, I, I think... It depends what you mean by talent acquisition again, because that's actually a term. So we talk about HR being general. Like, what does what does talent acquisition mean to you? Mm. If I was employed as a talent acquisition manager, well, uh, well, no, headhunter to me, talent acquisition probably means I don't see it as the normal kind of recruitment. Fifty CVs get sent to you, and then you've got to go through the CVs. For me, talent acquisition is somebody that goes out and hunts down talent for me in a very specific way. What about you? It can mean something more broad. So if I think about talent acquisition managers that I've worked with internally, so this is internally, it's anything through from sourcing to finding the right candidate for the right role that's a cultural fit all the way through to working with that employee when they once are joined. Yeah, once they've joined and continuing that journey with them mm. in terms of their own development. Mm. So I think it can be super broad, mm. a bit like the employee journey, because that's the same, mm. right? You yeah. touch them. That sounds really inappropriate. You don't touch them. They come in <laughs> to contact with you at the beginning and then you see them all the way through their journey to to the end, but in a slightly different way to the way that, that hmm. HR works. So I, I understand what you mean. It can be really broad and it can be um, very narrow as in recruit, recruitment, right? Yeah. Here's a role, fill it, move on to the next one. Yeah, but you're right about the situation. Like you could be interviewing, like I don't necessarily believe that just because you're both interviewing for the same job, that I would ask you the same questions yeah. in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real skill, right? Understanding that you are acting in a slightly different way and therefore in order to extract the information I want, I need to ask the, or phrase the question slightly differently. Or just because you're le- your learning style, you understand yeah. the question differently, therefore I need to phrase it differently straight away. Yep. But yeah, so there's no one-size-fits-all approach, I don't think. And that's really interesting, right? Because I think that there would have been a school of thought from an HR professional at one point would be, you have to ask everybody exactly the same the question. Same question. Mm. No more, no less, because then we have a fair comparison across the candidate base so we know that we've done a fair and consistent interview process. I don't think that really works now, and I think we've evolved hugely, but that would have been definitely been a school of thought yeah. at some point. Mm. Um, and I think there are moments where you might need to use that for different different situations if you're in a redundancy mm. situation, for example, and people reapply for their job, then you have to of be very structured and fair and score and you have to ask the same question of everybody. But I think from a genuine talent acquisition and trying to get the best information out of people, it's just going to be different because people react differently and are different beasts. So, yeah. Okay. 